All right, we want to take a break now to thank one of our sponsors here. You know, we only like to promote and talk about products that we genuinely love here. And here on the podcast, we love our bull and branch sheets. Uh, We've had them in our house more than a year. Jill, I know you have as well. Most, we are huge fans of bull and branch. And if you don't have bull and branch sheets already, what are you waiting for? It's a new year, new you, new sheets. And if all of you with your resolutions are working out, trying to eat healthy, give yourself the gift of some soft sheets. It's a New Year's resolution you can achieve. Bowl and Brand sheets get softer with every wash. We have a few sets here in our house. They're made with 100% organic cotton. They don't have those toxins, those synthetic pesticides, harsh chemicals that many other brands have. So they're especially good if you have sensitive skin. Moshe, that's a big issue in my house. The sheets are good for all seasons. They'll be great. They'll keep you cool in the summer. They'll keep you warm in the winter. And right now, we have a special deal going for the Mo News community. On your first order of Bowl and Branch, you can get 15% off. Just head over to bowlandbranch.com. That is bowl, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Use the promo code, what else? Mo News. Keep in mind, exclusions do apply. So see the site for details. Hey, everybody. It is Friday, October 6th. I'm Mo Shwanunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news, at least I try to, and read between the lines so you don't have to. You can celebrate a little bit. It is Friday, and you will get two Mo News editions today, this daily news edition, plus our weekend bonus edition. It'll be out a little bit later this morning. It's a conversation slash fact check on all things climate change and weather. I spoke to meteorologist Matthew Capucci. He was inside Hurricane Ian, and we had an honest conversation about how weather is getting impacted by climate change and how it is not. What is weather just being weather, and how is climate change actually impacting things, both when it comes to hurricanes and across the country? We dive into a whole conversation about how the media can do better. Hint, hint, it lacks nuance like it does on many subjects, but I think you'll find this conversation very interesting. Subscribe or follow this podcast on your app right now so you don't miss that edition. Okay, here are a couple headlines we'll tell you about in today's show. There was a huge announcement from the White House yesterday about marijuana. I'll tell you what that is all about and who is impacted. There was also an important bit of news we got from one of the largest newspaper chains in the country, and it could impact 200 of our country's newspapers, including one near you. We're getting more details on how imminent charges might be against President Biden's son, Hunter. I'll tell you about the two Russian men so desperate not to fight in the war in Ukraine, they literally took a boat to Alaska. Actor Kevin Spacey, remember him? Well, he's facing a new trial that got underway in New York on Thursday. I'll tell you about that. And we'll end with a bit of good news. I try to do that here on the podcast. There is a new scientific study that tested people petting dogs and literally track their brain waves and how much impact petting a dog could have on your brain and the impact it could have on medicine. But let's begin here with that huge announcement from President Biden in regards to marijuana. On Thursday, the president announced he is pardoning thousands of Americans who were convicted of, quote, simple possession of marijuana under federal law. It's a dramatic step that brings us closer to decriminalizing the drug and addresses charging practices that have disproportionately impacted people of color through the years. The move by President Biden also covers thousands who were convicted of the crime in D.C. in addition to all federal penalties. He's also calling on governors to issue similar pardons for those who were convicted of state marijuana offenses. The president said the move reflects his position that no one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana. Too many lives have been upended because of our failed approach to marijuana, he wrote. Now, according to the White House, no one currently in federal prison is solely there for the simple possession of the drug. 
but the pardon could help thousands overcome obstacles to renting a home, finding a job. Essentially, when you've been convicted of a federal crime, it really limits you from uh, once you're out of prison, starting your life again. The move by President Biden now puts the federal government on par with a number of big cities like New York that have been moving towards decriminalizing low-level marijuana arrests for years. A uh, recap here, we are really kind of the United States of marijuana when it comes to laws right now. About a dozen states have decriminalized weed, making it basically on par with a parking ticket. Uh, North Carolina, Nebraska, North Dakota, Minnesota, Missouri, Mississippi, Ohio are among those steps. Then there's another 20 states that have actually fully legalized marijuana at this point, a lot along the West Coast, the Southwest, the Northeast. Uh, my uh, original home state of Illinois recently legalized it. There's actually only four states left in the country where marijuana is completely illegal. That is South Carolina, Kansas, Wyoming, and Idaho. So given that the majority of the country now has either decriminalized marijuana or fully legalized it, the federal government is trying to slowly but surely get on board here. There is a big divide though in the nation. Some police departments still believe that marijuana leads to more serious crime and ignoring low-level offenses like somebody perhaps smoking marijuana emboldens criminals to do more. As part of this announcement, the president is also asking the Health and Human Services Secretary, that is Javier Becerra, to review and reconsider marijuana's classification as a Schedule One drug. The DEA has multiple schedules. Schedule One is a classification meant for the most dangerous substances. Uh, I posted about this on my Instagram account yesterday, and a number of you were shocked that marijuana, after all these years, is still a Schedule One drug on par with heroin and LSD. It actually turns out as I was going through the schedules that fentanyl and meth, which by the way, kill many more people, are only scheduled two drugs. So the DEA clearly has to uh, rethink these things. And the White House here at least has them looking at where they have marijuana classified. Now the Biden move stops short of full federal decriminalization. We're not quite there yet, uh, even though a number of states have done that. The president still wants limitations on the trafficking, marketing, and underage sales of weed to stay in place. So don't try to get through the TSA anytime soon with any marijuana. All right, let's look abroad here. A really sad story to tell you, a horrific story, frankly, out of Thailand. A former policeman killed 34 people, including 23 children, during a rampage at a daycare center in Northeast Thailand on Thursday. It is one of the world's worst child death tolls in a massacre by a single killer in recent history. Most of the children who died at the daycare center, this is in the town of Utai Sawan, about 300 miles northeast of Bangkok, were stabbed to death by the former police officer. The rampage finally ended, but not before the shooter shot his wife and his child back at home before turning the weapon on himself. Local police identified the attacker as a former member of their force who was dismissed from his post last year over drug allegations, and he was facing trial on a drug charge. The man had been in court literally earlier on Thursday, had gone to the daycare to find his child, and when he didn't, he began the rampage. Gun violence is a growing problem in Thailand. The country is second to the Philippines for the number of gun homicides in Southeast Asia. Thailand does have an illegal weapon problem, many of them brought in from neighboring countries suffering various strife. Mass shootings, though, in Thailand are rare, and so Thai authorities are figuring out what they can do there. By the way, for context, uh, even though gun violence is a growing problem in Thailand, uh, looked at the numbers as far as gun death rate, uh, and they're still at about 50% of where we are here in the U.S. Stories like this come amid uh, renewed concern really around the world about mental health, and we got some numbers uh, this week from a new poll on the state of concern here in the U.S. when it comes to the mental health crisis. 
According to a new survey from CNN in partnership with the Kaiser Family Foundation, they do some good reporting on their website. They found that nine out of 10 adults here in the U.S. believe there is a mental health crisis. Asked to rate the severity of six specific mental health concerns, Americans put the opioid epidemic at the top with more than two-thirds of people identifying it as a crisis versus merely a problem. More than half of those polled identified mental health issues among children and teenagers as a crisis as well. Nearly two and a half years into the pandemic, some concerning numbers that should get the attention of uh, CEOs, bosses, uh, government workers, uh, as especially as we try to deal with uh, the issues here in this country, about half of adults say they've had a severe mental health crisis in their families, including in-person treatment for family members who are a threat to themselves or others. More than about 20% of American adults describe their own mental health as only fair or poor, including extra large shares of adults under the age of 30, adults who identify as LGBTQ, and those with an annual income of less than $40,000. A third of all adults say they feel anxious always or often over the course of the past year, and other major sources of stress cited in the poll by about a third of Americans include personal finances and current or political events. One bit of positive news here, ever so slightly, more Americans are getting some help. According to the new survey, one in five Americans received mental health services in the past year. There's some CDC data that backs this up that mental health treatment has become more common over the course of the past two and a half years. Nearly 22% of American adults got mental health treatment in 2021. That was up from 19% back in 2019. Okay, we got a bit of news this week on the state of the nation's financial health. The Treasury Department reported earlier this week that America's national debt has exceeded $31 trillion for the first time. This should come as no surprise after the last couple of years, the federal government has been borrowing at record levels to fund all the pandemic relief and tax cuts. And then a recent Federal Reserve interest rate hike to fight inflation will increase the cost of servicing all that debt. In fact, in just the last three years, our national debt went from about 23 trillion to 31 trillion, uh, about an increase of about $8 trillion or 35% in just over the last three years. Now, federal debt is not like a 30-year mortgage where you have a fixed interest rate. Because the government is constantly issuing new debt as we continue to have to pay for things, it effectively means that its borrowing costs rise as interest rates rise. In fact, the Peterson Foundation, this is a deficit advocacy group, says that interest payments alone will cost about $8 trillion over the next decade. Now, there's a lot of finger pointing in Washington, and there's often talk among Republicans about uh, the national debt and its issues. But both parties, if you look at the numbers over the course of the past four decades, have kept the borrowing going, which is not terribly bad during low interest times. But obviously, with interest rates going up here, we are going to owe much more. And so that leads to some concerns. And so while $31 trillion does sound like a lot, think about it like this. Think about the government like you, that you might make uh, $100,000 a year or your family might make $60,000 a year. But you might take out a mortgage of several hundred thousand dollars and a car loan payment, et cetera, et cetera. Think about the government in the same way. The government actually brings in about six or seven trillion dollars a year off of tax revenue. So when you think about the $31 trillion debt, conceivably the government could pay this off in just a few years if necessary. And so that's why a number of politicians and governments uh, that help basically fund our debt around the world by buying treasury bonds are confident that the U.S. is good for it, even though $31 trillion does sound and is a lot of money. I've been going through the history here uh, based on some of your requests on Instagram and just want to take you through the numbers. Significantly, we hit $1 trillion in debt during the Reagan administration, during the beginning. By the end of Reagan and Bush 41, we were at a $4 trillion debt. That then went up to about $5.5 trillion during the Clinton administration. Bush 43, 
the uh, debt nearly doubled to $11 trillion. Then during the eight Obama years, we went up to $19 trillion in debt. During the four years of Trump, we added about $9 trillion in debt, significantly in that last year during COVID as the government uh, tried to bail out the economy. And now we've gone from about $28 trillion to just over $31 trillion during the Biden administration. One thing to keep in mind here, uh, there's a difference between debt and deficit. The deficit is the annual amount the government must borrow in any single year. So if we're running a budget deficit, you might hear the government talk about how they're trying to cut the deficit. That's them talking about a year. The national debt is the cumulative amount of money that we've borrowed throughout the nation's history going to the beginning. In fact, if you go back to the early history of this country, Thomas Jefferson controversially took out $10 million to buy the Louisiana Purchase from the French. Thought Napoleon was making a great offer. Uh, it turns out uh, about, we got 20 states out of it. Everything from Louisiana to Oregon, we bought for about $10 million from the French. Well, we had to go into debt for that. And so it was controversial at the time. And so we've had a 200 plus year debate about debt in this country. And now the latest number, the latest milestone, we have officially surpassed $31 trillion when it comes to our national debt. Okay, there was some major reporting out of the Washington Post on Thursday in regards to the investigation into President Biden's son, Hunter. The newspaper reports that federal agents have gathered what they believe is sufficient evidence to charge him with tax crimes and a false statement related to a gun purchase. The next step is for the U.S. attorney in Delaware to decide whether to file charges. By the way, that U.S. attorney is a Trump administration holdover who the Biden administration felt they should keep in charge as to not look like there were any signs of nepotism when the president came aboard. This investigation into Hunter first began in 2018. It became a central focus for former President Trump during his 2020 re-election. He was trying to constantly bring up Hunter Biden's finances, uh, especially related to some overseas business ties. Over time, where investigators have found a potential crime here was whether he didn't report all of his income and whether he lied about a gun purchase back in 2018. Agents determined months ago that they had assembled a viable criminal case against Hunter Biden, who, by the way, is 52 years old. It is ultimately up to prosecutors of the Justice Department, though, not the agents, to decide whether to file charges in cases where prosecutors believe the evidence is strong enough to lead to a likely conviction. Given the intense political interest in the criminal probe, as well as concerns about bias, Attorney General Merrick Garland, who was nominated by Biden, has made clear that the U.S. attorney in Delaware, that's David Weiss, who was nominated by Trump back in 2017, stayed on to supervise the case. So what is the potential crime here? Well, the primary focus of the tax investigation has been whether Hunter did not declare all of his income back in 2018. And then there's an issue related to gun paperwork. In October of 2018, Hunter purchased a handgun. He filled out a federal form in which he allegedly answered no to the question of whether he was an unlawful user or addicted to marijuana or any depressant or narcotic drug. Now, Hunter Biden has written extensively about using drugs heavily that year. And of course, there's been some video evidence that has leaked out from his various uh, laptops. Hunter has gone into rehab for an addiction to a crack cocaine. And so here they believe that they caught him in a lie on a gun purchase document, as well as uh, lies in regards to uh, what he claimed on his taxes that year. Now, the Washington Post reports that prosecutions for false statements on gun purchase forms are actually relatively rare, but they do happen. In the year that Hunter purchased the gun, the Justice Department records show that prosecutors received 478 referrals for lying on the gun purchase form. Of those, charges were filed in about 60% of the cases. Now, it's not uncommon for a Justice Department investigation to take years to finish. It'll also be interesting as to whether they might consider uh, an election that's coming up uh, to be relevant to when they announce potential charges. But nonetheless, it looks likely that Hunter Biden will face potential charges, at least related to the tax issues or the gun document. 
Okay, we got a quick January 6th committee update on Thursday. The final hearing will officially be next Thursday, October 13th. Set your calendar if you're interested in this uh, for 1 p.m. Eastern time. It was initially scheduled last week when Hurricane Ian hit on that Wednesday, but the committee pushed it back so they wouldn't get buried in the coverage. Uh, they're looking for media attention for this final hearing. No details yet on what they have planned for this one, but the final January 6th committee hearing set for next Thursday. Okay, here's a headline I noticed on Thursday from way up north. Sarah Palin once famously said that you can see Russia from Alaska, and it appears now that a couple Russians were looking the other direction. We learned on Thursday that two Russian men fled Russia on a boat to avoid military conscription and are now requesting asylum in the U.S. after making it to an island off of Alaska. The pair arrived in a small boat to the remote island near Gamble Island. Apparently, it's in the Bering Sea, about 36 miles from Siberia. That's literally how close some parts of Alaska are to Russia. We learned the news from the two senators of Alaska, Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan. The senators' offices said they've been in contact with the U.S. Coast Guard and Customs and Border Protection. They are in the midst of determining who these two men are. Senator Murkowski's office said that the federal response so far is lacking, that they need to prepare for the potential for more Russians to be leaving Siberia and trying to make it here to the U.S. It comes as we've learned that at least 500,000 Russian men have left the country in just the last month alone, less taking this route to Alaska, more heading across their land borders to places like Georgia, Kazakhstan, and uh, Turkey. And this all comes, it appears, more Russians are learning that they're actually failing at that war in Ukraine. On Wednesday, the head of Russia's lower house of parliament's defense committee said the army should, quote, stop lying. It comes as daily briefings continue to praise the enormous losses that Russians are inflicting on Ukraine without any mention of what's happening to the Russian troops. A former general, Andrei Kartapolov, said, quote, the people know our people are not stupid and they see that we do not tell them even part of the truth. That general, by the way, said that certain members of the army's top ranks deserve a firing squad. So far, no criticism of Vladimir Putin uh, in regards to these politicians or in mainstream Russian media. It appears so far they're trying to lay blame on the Russian military, but it is pretty remarkable uh, nearly eight months in that it's finally getting word and becoming okay in Russia to talk about some of the failings of the Russian military. Okay, a bit of business news we have been tracking. Peloton, the darling of COVID, uh, many of you might have one collecting dust in your basements. It turns out the company is planning on cutting even more jobs, 500 jobs, roughly 12% of its remaining workforce. That comes as the new chief executive says it is necessary to try to save the company. The new CEO, that is Barry McCarthy, he took over in February, said he is giving Peloton six months to turn itself around or it probably is no longer going to be a viable standalone company. Right now, Peloton is not making a profit, and these job reductions are actually the fourth round of cuts. It'll leave Peloton at the end here with about 3,800 employees globally. That is less than half of the number of people that were employed just last year. Here's a bit of interesting media news we got this week. It looks like more and more newspapers are gonna be dropping the long tradition of endorsing presidential and major federal candidates for office. This is an announcement by the hedge fund Alden Global. They are actually now the second largest newspaper publisher in the country. The uh, hedge fund has bought a couple hundred newspapers, including some major names like the Chicago Tribune, the New York Daily News, and the Denver Post. They believe that as public discourse has become more acrimonious in this country, uh, they believe it is no longer the time to continue what is really a uh, centuries-long tradition of endorsing candidates for office. Some people might be unfamiliar with this, but newspapers have a long tradition of having a news section where, where they report objectively on the news, and then an opinion section, and in many cases, the opinion section either takes a rightward slant or a leftward slant. And so the editorial pages are controlled by editorial editors separate from the news department, and oftentimes in election years, 
will endorse candidates for one party or the other. They saw this for many years as a public service to voters who might not know who to vote for and trusted their newspaper uh, to tell them who might be the better candidate. Now, in recent years, as there have been more allegations of bias, et cetera, it's been confusing for some readers to try to differentiate between the editorial pages of the newspapers and the news sections. And so here you have Alden Global Capital saying their newspapers are no longer going to endorse. This follows a couple of other publications. The Richmond Times-Dispatch in Virginia said they would stop endorsing. And we've seen a number of other papers do this around the country. There's three Alden papers that still will uh, endorse this cycle for midterms. That's the Baltimore Sun, the Denver Post, and the Chicago Tribune. And then they will discontinue that after this fall's midterms. Okay, a bit of legal news we're watching. The trial for Kevin Spacey opened up in New York on Thursday. Actor Anthony Rapp is seeking $40 million in damages in this civil trial for a uh, sexual assault encounter he alleges happened more than 30 years ago. Opening statements began on Thursday. Uh, the lawyers for both sides went back and forth. The allegation dates back to 1986. That's when a 26-year-old Spacey allegedly drunkenly lifted Anthony Rapp, who was then 14 at the time, onto a bed and climbed on top of him at a party at Spacey's apartment. Rapp says he managed to, quote, wriggle out and left, but now without Spacey following him to the front door and asking him, are you sure you want to go? Again, the allegation here is from 1986, when Spacey was 26 years old and Rapp was just 14. Spacey, who has won Oscars for his roles in American Beauty, as well as The Usual Suspects, has denied Rapp's accusations and other sexual misconduct charges. But Spacey's career has largely ended in recent years. That came after more than 20 men accused Spacey of sexual misconduct. He's denying all those charges. And if you recall a couple of years ago, House of Cards was still uh, at the height of its popularity and Spacey was taken off the show. Anthony Rapp is now 50 years old. He filed the case back in 2020. He is best known for starring in the Broadway musical Rent. He described his encounter with Spacey in an interview with BuzzFeed back in 2017 at the height of the Me Too movement. Spacey's attorney says Rapp has made up this entire story because he's jealous of Spacey, jealous that his acting career didn't become as successful as Spacey's and to try to raise his own profile. Spacey's attorney alleges that the entire encounter resembles a scene in a play Rapp was acting in at the time and said this is all about Rapp wanting attention again. So this is a civil case where Spacey could face up to $40 million in fines. He actually also faces a criminal trial in London next year after he pled not guilty to five sex offense charges over there on assaults between 2005 and 2013. Spacey also faced an indecent assault charge in Massachusetts back in 2018 allegations that he sexually abused an 18-year-old man, but prosecutors later dropped those charges after the alleged victim refused to testify. Okay, as promised, we're ending with a bit of good news on this Friday. It turns out that science is now backing up what most of us probably already know, that petting a dog can make you feel much better. So this is a new study that comes out of Switzerland. It tracked brain waves and suggests that petting a dog can be good for our brain. The study involved 19 adults, nine women and 10 men, who had their brain activity measured over several sessions. It included sessions with a dog, without a dog, and one with a stuffed dog. The study team asked participants to observe and interact with one of three live dogs, a Jack Russell Terrier, a Golden Doodle, and a Golden Retriever. First, the participants watched the dog from across the room, then the dog sat next to them, and then finally each person was allowed to pet the dog. It turns out that petting a live dog, according to the uh, brainwave monitoring, supercharged activity in the part of the brain that controls thinking and emotional reactions. In other sessions, each person repeated the same sequence with a stuffed animal. They actually put a hot water bottle inside the stuffed animal to simulate the body temperature of a live dog. In each of the scenarios, brain simulation rose as the live dog or stuffed dog moved closer, 
but they found a much stronger boost in brain activity when the person actually petted the real dog versus the stuffed dog. No surprise here, researchers believe the results could improve the effectiveness of animal-assisted therapies used to treat conditions like depression, dementia, and PTSD. So I hope everyone gets to pet a dog this weekend, or if you're allergic, a hyperallergenic dog. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. I'd love your feedback on how we're doing. Email me over at podcast at mo.news. A reminder that we have a special edition coming out in a few hours. Subscribe to this podcast. It's totally free to ensure you don't miss that edition. It is a deep dive into climate change, the weather, what we can attribute to climate change, and what we can't. I think you'll find it very, very interesting and really enjoy the interview. Uh, brought on a meteorologist who's been studying this for a while and calling people out left and right on Twitter. We especially talk about the role of the media when it comes to covering this stuff. A reminder to also subscribe to the Mo News newsletter if you don't already over at monews.bulletin.com and follow me on Instagram where you can get the latest and greatest at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. I will see everyone in just a couple hours on the next edition and on Monday for the latest edition of the Daily Podcast.